Welcome to the Creative Writers Tool Belt, the podcast that gives you advice and insights for your writing. I'm Andy Chamberlain, I'm a writer and creative writing coach, and in each episode, we'll be exploring an aspect of the craft together. You can find out more at my website, andrewjchamberlain.com, where you can also find out about the Creative Writers Tool Belt Handbook, which takes all the best advice and insights from the early episodes of the podcast and distills them into one volume. I hope this podcast is helpful to you on your writing journey. If you do find it useful, please do subscribe and consider leaving a review as well wherever you downloaded it. So thank you for joining me and here's this episode. Hello and welcome to episode 168 of the Creative Writers Toolbelt podcast. My guest for this episode is Dave Chesson. Dave is an author, entrepreneur, and a prominent name in the self-publishing scene. For many years, he has been creating free courses and articles, as well as applications that help writers to publish and promote their work. I wanted to talk today about these products that he's developed, products that I have used myself in the past. And we did indeed have a good conversation about those things, but he also has some wise things to say about the kind of discipline and approach and attitude that we need to have as writers to really be successful in our work. So we had an interesting conversation. I learned a lot from it. I hope you do too. Here it is. Dave, it's great to have you as a guest on the Creative Writers Tool Belt podcast. A real pleasure to have you with us today and to spend a few minutes just chatting to you. Well, thank you for having me. So I want to start really by you telling me about your background. So like anyone who's looked at your website can see things like military diplomat and dyslexia and submarines and all of that stuff. So do you want to tell us a little bit about what you've been up to before you did what you're doing now? Sure. Well, uh, yep, I grew up with dyslexia. Although way back then, dyslexia wasn't exactly as well known. So I was just kind of looked at as slow, um, <laughs> especially when it came to English and reading and spelling and, and just yes. all the things. Oh, handwriting. Good Lord. And so I really kind of focused and said, well, I'm apparently des- destined for math and science and that's going to be my thing. And so I, I just kind of took to that. Uh, but it doesn't mean that your desire for writing never goes away. You just think you're limited. So I went through and I graduated college as a physics major, went right into the Navy, uh, became a nuclear engineer, was on submarines, then moved over to uh, nuclear weapon security. Um, I then tried to transfer it over out of that and specialize in military diplomacy. I became what they call a foreign area officer. I specialized in China and East Asia, uh, became fluent in Mandarin Chinese, uh, did a whole bunch of stuff over in that side of the world. Um, but it was at a time that I was stationed in South Korea, working with the South Korean fleet, that I really got this bug to really look into writing and write more. And it started with my wife asking me this one question. She said, Dave, you're stationed on the other side of the world without your family, because the military had to send me there without my kids and wife. And they were okay. like, I mean, I- I'm glad we serve, but why? Are you, what are we doing this for? You know, she's like, are you trying to be an admiral? Are you trying to, you know, is there some core mission or something? I was like, no, no. She's like, well, then maybe we need to think about this. And when you're on the other side of the world and you're looking for some way to create a career or to create an exit strategy from your from your nine to five job, you're kind of limited in what you can do. And so I started realizing that I there was this self-publishing thing and this thing Mm. called Kindle Direct Publishing. And I could write books even while out to sea or traveling 
I could put it on Amazon and Amazon would take care of it for me, that they Mm. would sell it. They would work the refunds or the logistics or the taxes. And all I do is just collect. That sounds awesome. And so that was, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. What what sort of year would this have been that you were thinking about seriously making that switch? That was about 2010. Okay. So really just at at the, you know, at the beginning of this massive era that is self-publishing that I guess, or just, just getting in on the ground floor of it. You know, what's funny is, is that uh, back then I thought I had missed the train. Uh, I think really in like 2007 was when it was like the wild, wild west, where honestly, if you had just been an early adopter and jumped on it, you could have written just about anything and made bank. Um, I mean, anything decent, you know, it didn't have to be amazing. If you were the first person to create the how to lose weight fast book and put it on Amazon, you laughed your way all the way to the bank. And so I, was like, oh man, I missed on that, you know, that the easy days. So, and then I looked back and I was like, oh man, that was some pretty easy days too. But um, <laughs> yes. needless to say, it's, you know, we can always look at it and say we missed it. I mean, anybody who watches the stock market runs into that, like, oh yeah. man, I should have invested a couple <clears throat> years ago. You know, yeah. I, I thought yeah. I missed it then. So, yeah, yeah, no, it's, yeah, that is so true. So, um, so for you, part of it is like your family's like thousands of miles away. And understandably, they want to be with you. You want to be with them. So apparently you became a full-time author. You kind of presumably switched out of the military and and that was how you earned your money at writing. Is that correct? Well, I, with my family, uh, I needed a way to replace my nine to five job, which means that I had this goal that I had to make at least a $10,000 a month from my writing before I would be able to leave my career and take mm-hmm. care because I, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't jump out of a plane and figure out how to make a parachute on the way down. And right. I sure couldn't quit my job right. and hope that I'm going to figure this out or else otherwise, you know, we're, we're going to be in poverty. So I really developed the system where I would write every morning from four to seven, 4 a.m. to 7 a.m., no matter what. It didn't, it's Monday through Sunday. And the reason for that was that my career could never get in the way. My family couldn't get in the way. Nobody could get in the way. Nobody was up on social media. Why? Because nobody's up at four in the morning. Yeah. Me. And so there was nothing to stop me. There was no, hey, honey, go take out the trash, you know, or the kids, <laughs> hey, do this, or, you know, work saying, hey, I need this report. And because of that, I had those solid hours every day. And then I also made it that when I came home from work too, um, I would spend the night you know, I would do writing in the morning and I would do research and learning in the evening. And I thought that was a really good one-two punch. Mm. And the other thing that was really important for me was that because my family was depending on this, you know, my ability to be home with my family, I took it very seriously. I didn't treat it like this hobby or something that's nice. Like I looked at it as in, if I want to succeed, to be with my kids and stay home, you know, and be the only dad that shows up at the recital at Monday morning, like I did this week, I needed to take this seriously. This is not a hobby. And so I think those two things of setting aside that time, as well as really having a true motivation that made me get up at 4am every morning. um, Those are the reasons why I was able to hit that mark and be where I'm at today. So, and, and this kind of partly answers the next thing I was going to ask you, but I'm going to ask it anyway to see what else you've got to say. So um, what were the, aside from any tools or services or stuff that you use, what were the personal habits and disciplines and attitudes 
that you brought to this thing to help you complete that transition into really just building a new career? Yeah, well, first is really knowing what you're doing it for. Um, I'm just going to stress that out. To me, it was to be home with my family and to fail. That was just not an option. Um, I think that's really important because the thing is, is that the process to getting to that, you're going to have a whole bunch of series of failures. Like everybody fails. They fail over and over and over again. You just keep failing forward. That's the most important part. But staying with it, no matter what the cost is, is the difference between the people who finally make it and the people who don't. So by truly identifying this as the thing I need to do and do well so that I can be home with my family, that was key. If mm-hmm. it had been kind of a, a, you know, a hobby or something that I kind of do. Yeah. yeah, no, I don't think it would have happened for me. There are some lottery winners out there where people can dabble in something and it takes off, but I wasn't a lottery winner. And so no. identifying what I was willing to sacrifice for, I think was important. And I'm going to take a second and, and describe yes, that, you know, the word passion, right? Uh, it comes from the word passy, which means to suffer. Um, okay. And the true meaning of passion is that you care about something so much that you're willing to suffer for it. A lot of people mm. think it's whatever makes me feel good. Like mm. I'm passionate about this because it makes me feel good. But here's the kicker. If you use the original definition of passion, the real definition of passion, and you can find a reason that you're willing to suffer for it, you're going to have a much higher chance of success than if it's something that just makes you feel good. Because mm. let me tell you, writing and, and marketing a book, there's going to come times where it don't feel good. Yeah. And yeah. Getting through that is going to be key. So the first thing that I say is make sure that you understand what you're really passionate for, the Mm -hmm. real definition of that term, and defining that. And for me, it was getting out of the military so I could be home with my family. That was it. The second thing is, is not allowing life to get in the way of your routine. I didn't try to write when I could fit it in. I made it be a part of my absolute daily routine from four to seven every morning, no matter what Hmm. I didn't, you know, I didn't wait until I got home. I was like, Oh, I don't feel like it. Or I'm going to do it this time. And Oh, the kids need me. Like there was none of that. It was very apart. It was a routine that I still to this day keep up. Um, So that's my number two. The number three is, is that I also split writing and learning. Uh, And I did both each day. This is really important, especially for authors, because to just write a good book and sit back and hope everything works out, that's also like playing the lottery. It just doesn't work that way. But there are some authors that will spend so much time learning and constantly trying to figure some things out that they'll never actually get to writing their book. I think that real author careers are built off of a combination of writing and learning and marketing. Those two things done side by side makes what I think is a much healthier or stronger Mm. author than it is just doing one and hoping the other works out or vice versa. Okay. So thinking about um, the world of self-publishing now, we were talking about you got into it in 2010 and we're now in 2021 at the end of the year. Um, What would you say were the kind of maybe two or three interesting trends 
the things that are coming up in self-publishing at, at the moment? Well, the first thing I'm going to say is a shift in the publishing industry, uh, not just self-publishing. Publishers way back when used to look down on self-publishers as like the people who couldn't hack it. Um, and a lot of that's because I think the publishing company is, is very averse to change. I think they're really slow to change um, mm -hmm. because the industry mm -hmm. honestly went hundreds of years doing the same thing. Um, and so all of a sudden this internet thing happens. And now all of a sudden you can have authors publishing books on all the major markets without being a part of their system. Like they kind of fought it. But what's really happening is that they're, the publishing companies over the past couple of years have started to realize that, wow, we really need to get with the times here. Um, we have to understand this Amazon thing and play better with it um, and make it a bigger part of our efforts than we want to. But another thing I'm realizing is that they're starting to look at self-published authors and saying to themselves, huh, these, look at these guys. These guys are doing stuff. Mm. And they're getting even smarter about it. <clears throat> and they're looking at self-published authors as potential agents, as free agents to sign. Mm. Uh, if you were a publishing company and author A, who's never done anything, they submit a manuscript for you to read. All right. And you read it. And it's a good book. Or you got author B, who's published a whole bunch of books, self-published a whole bunch of books on Amazon. And all those books have like 500, five stars. You know, they have reviews. This author has an email list. They have a website. They're present, you know, and uh, you can see that. Who do you think you're going to sign? Who do you think you want to sign? Or even better yet, when you offer the contract, who do you think is going to get a better contract, Right. The, and so they're starting to look at self-published authors as potential people that they should be working with instead of mm -hmm. people that are looking down on like it used to be. Mm -hmm. So that's one major change I've seen in the industry. And okay. I think that's really important. The second thing is that um, I've seen Amazon take more of an interest than they used to. Um, for those who are part of it way back in the day, Amazon's sales reporting was heinous like it was so bad it used to be that you would have to download an excel sheet just to see what your payments were or or just the earnings over the days um it was crazy bad and i was like how could somebody be running a multi multi-million dollar company using this kind of reporting the socks mm. um and it took years before they do that they also used to have that print books was on a completely different company called create space now i'm really dating myself here and Create Space and KDP would not talk to each other. And so finally, they fixed the reporting, although they, they still have some things to do, but it's it's infinitely better than it used to be. They brought Create Space into KDP. And so now I can see all the things together, which is excellent. Um, and on top of that, too, they've introduced things like Amazon ads mm. that give authors a direct ability to affect where their book shows up. Um, and so there's, and they're doing a lot more efforts inside of Amazon ads, making it better and better because they're seeing the benefit. They're not only selling more product, they're also getting paid as advertisers. So that works for them. But for us authors, we have a lot more control than we used to. Hmm. Um, so I would say two things from that is Amazon is doing more with us, which is great. And the third thing is Amazon created things like Amazon ads or A plus content mm -hmm. or, you know, uh, Vela or all these other programs. They're doing more and they're showing more of an interest and they're giving us more capability. 
And that's a good way maybe to get into some of the stuff that you're doing now. So how would you describe at a top level what you're doing now? Well, way back in the day when I created uh, Rocket, one of my best competitive advantages as a writer was I used a lot of numbers. And I know that sounds terrible to most authors, but I wasn't the kind of author that could sit down and write about tying my shoes and people, you know, be like, oh my gosh, this is gold. You know, like I'm, I'm you know, I'm no Ernest Hemingway. I, I just can't write what I want and, and it'd be awesome. What I wanted to do was to make sure that my writing efforts had an existing market that would look for it. Um, I started analyzing Amazon and trying to figure out what makes it tick. Why do they show one book over another? Why can't I get my book to show more on them? What can I do to convince them of this? And I started to analyze them with all those numbers. And I started creating Excel sheets and I started creating trackers and things that I was like working with. And let's face it, authors don't want to work with that. That, that sucks. Like number geeks like me, you know, get, oh, what about this calculation, this algorithm, blah, blah, blah. Mm. So I had all these things that were helping me make better decisions. And truth be told, I wasn't doing anything new because publishing companies have been doing the same thing for years. They're using market data to drive their decisions. Self-published authors, especially way back when, were just kind of stabbing in the dark and kind of hoping and making guesses and choosing things and see what happens and what works. So I started to build a software called Publisher Rocket, you know, KDP Rocket way back in the day, now Publisher Rocket, that would help authors to understand more of what the market is doing. And what was really cool about this was that, you know, what started off, you know, as only a couple of features, all of a sudden I was like, man, there's so much more we can do. And as a writer, it's been powerful to have a whole bunch of programmers working for you. Because as a writer, I get to say, man, wouldn't it be nice if I could do this? Hey, guys, let's go ahead and look and see if we can do this faster and better. You know, and it's like, oh, wow, look at all this information. This is cool. So I, I've, I feel like kind of a a kid in a candy store, you know, being an author mm. with his own programming team and just be like, <laughs> hey, can you guys make this thing? Because it would help me. Um, and so we kept adding new features to Rocket. We have a whole bunch of new features coming out soon to include like historical category data. Um, Audible information is going to be added. Um, and that's a lot of fun because I've wanted to see how the Audible sales are going because apparently Audible's taken off like crazy um, and nobody's showing that data. Well, now you can. Like, that's the fun part. Um, and the cool thing for anybody who's bought Rocket is all of my new features and upgrades have always been free upgrades for them. Um, you know, I just want to keep adding to it. So I built Rocket in that respect. Um, but then as an author, I had another thing that I kept running into is, you know, uh, for formatting your book, there, I mean, there really was only one company that was doing it well and making it, you know, easy and efficient. And that was Vellum. Mm, but mm. Vellum only works on Mac. So yeah, people yeah. on PC or Chrome, you know, Chromebook or Linux, like there were people literally buying a Macintosh computer just to use Vellum. Like seriously, that sucks. Um, now, don't get me wrong. I do like my Mac computer, but be forced to buy a computer and then a software to do something like that. That's a that's problem. pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And I do want to talk about Vellum within a minute, but I want to... Uh, I'm, some people listening to this, I think, might go, like, Rocket, what's that all about? And I wondered if maybe we could showcase some of what you offer by just giving a quick example. So, like, say, I'm, say I've written, um, I'm a self-published author, and I've written a series of books, high fantasy series, and, I, and I've got two or three books, maybe three or four books, and I want to get them on Amazon, and I've got some budget to spend on Amazon ads as well, maybe, but I'm really scared about that, and I don't know what categories to put my books in, 
and I don't know, you know, I don't really know kind of what what kind of words to use. So if I come to you and what you've got to offer, how does the kind of stuff that you're offering at the moment with Rocket and other things like that help me? Yeah. Well, uh, first and foremost, Rocket would be able to help you to figure out the best uh, keywords to use for your book. So the best positioning naturally on Amazon, uh, it helps you to understand what words people are typing in, how many people per month are typing it <clears> in the competition, how much money books are making. And so now you aren't just guessing at words, but you're using really good information to help you make oh, much better choices. Oh. You'll find out some of your ideas were really bad. Uh, like that's, that wasn't going to help your book at all, but here, this one will. So it takes that out. Um, categories, a lot of authors, when they go to select their categories, uh, Amazon on KDP will have that pop-up box that shows you, you know, the categories to select and you select two. Well, what a lot of authors don't know is that those aren't categories. Those are called BISACs and BISACs are an international standard code um, for categories. It's think of it like a supply chain logistics thing so that, hey, here's the standard that publishers can choose from. And then every store associates certain standards to certain aisles and things like that. So when you're choosing from that, there's like 4,500 to choose from. And then Amazon takes what you chose and it applies it to whatever Amazon categories they think it might fit. And Amazon has mm. 11,000 categories. So uh, so a lot of authors are like, well, how do I figure out what the 11,000 are? What, what are the best ones for me? And so we have all 11,000 of those in Rocket. And we have this way to help you really figure out which ones will fit for your book mm. and also tell you what are the best ones to choose for bestseller status and that kind of thing. Mm. Again, just taking the guesswork out of it. Um, and then you contact Amazon. We have a process for that and they will add categories to your book and change whatever you want. So it gives you more control and it gives you the ability to know what you're doing. With regards to Amazon ads, anybody who's worried about that, I have a full free video course on Amazon ads. Uh, you can just get it by going to amscourse.com um, and you can see how best to approach it. And you'll see naturally, you can do it without Rocket, but you'll see how much time it will save you and help you make better decisions alone. So highly recommend somebody look at that as well. So it sounds like, like one of the cool things that I could do using, using what you offer is I can, you can, I can find out what people are searching for when they come onto Amazon. I can also work out what categories, let's call them categories for now. Uh, mm -hmm. I should, I should use for my book. So like for people who have never been through this process, you're putting your book on Amazon and basically you've got to tell Amazon kind of roughly what your book's about and what kind of categories would it fall into. Um, and what you're offering is a really smart way to do that. And also if I want to get into Amazon ads, so if I want to do a little bit of advertising on Amazon, I could, I could be smart and use amscourse.com or go to amscourse.com. And it's, a, did you say it's a free course there? Yep. It's a free course. Okay. So if people are thinking, well, where do I find all this stuff? Can you just tell us where we, where people can go to find out what sure. you've got? You can go to publisherrocket.com and you can check that out. It's a software <laughs> that's a one-time cost of 97 US dollars. Um, and again, that gets you all updates and that's for life. Um, and the biggest thing is honestly, it's like it gives you the same capability that publishing companies have been used to using to make the right decisions. They're not guessing at what keywords. They're not randomly uh, selecting you know, categories and letting it be. They're making decisions based off of key information. We make it really easy for authors to understand that. It just helps to level that playing field. Okay. Now, you, 
I mentioned briefly earlier um, this this wonderful thing, Vellum, and I'm a Vellum user, so I've got a couple of. I will. I want to ask you a couple of things about this. Um, but your latest product is Atticus, um, which, as I understand it, can kind of do what Vellum does, but a whole lot more, and is answering a whole bunch of problems and a whole bunch of you know man- helping write- writers meet a whole bunch of challenges. So, can you tell us a little bit about why? Like as a writer, what kind of problems would Atticus solve for me and why should I think about using it? Yeah, well, first and foremost, if, you know, just from formatting alone, right? Um, everybody needs <clears throat> to format their book, their ebook and their print book version. And so a lot of people have been turning to Vellum to be able to do that. Uh, hopefully they have a Mac or else they have to do the extra, you know, they have to go buy Mac or do Mac and cloud or something like that. Um, but what, what makes Vellum so great is that you're able to see what your book looks like in all the different formats from like, you know, on an iPhone to a Kindle to a iPad or how it will look as a print book. And it makes it that just about anybody can easily and effectively make a professional looking book. Um, But here's the thing though, is, is that for us, uh, first off, we're like, Hey, that's great. But there are so many things that Vellum hasn't done that authors need. So there was a whole list of features that we wanted to build that Vellum wasn't doing. The second thing was that Vellum only works on Mac. So we made Atticus not only have those features I just discussed, but also work on all computers. And on top of that too, Vellum is $250 um, for books and eBooks. Uh, We made ourselves 147. So you can save over $100 and choose something that actually does more. And that's just from formatting. But the truth be told is, is that when I created Atticus, I didn't want to just create a formatting tool because as an author, I like our process right now, we authors use so many different pieces of software. Um, if you're a fiction writer, you're plotting, you know, or you're organizing your, your research. Um, if you're nonfiction or, you know, you're building character cards and setting cards, Then you're going over to your writing platform. You might be using something like Scrivener. You could be using Word. Um, There's a whole bunch there. And then when the time comes that you go to work with your editor, let's let's hope you're working with an editor, um, you might have to export out of whatever writing program you used and then email back and forth with a Word document. Um, Or maybe the editor is cool and they will work within uh, Google Docs where you can work real time with them. Uh, But if you're doing the Word thing, you're emailing back and forth, back and forth. By the time you're done with that, you probably have like seven files on your desktop that say final version. This is the final, all caps, final, final, you know. um, We've all been there. (laughs) Right, exactly. And then finally, 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 you're having to upload that edited version to a formatting software to then format it and then create it. And as an author, I've always said to myself, like, wouldn't it be great if I never had to leave a, like I had one program. Yeah. I could plan, I could write, I could collaborate, and then I can format, you know, at, at very high levels. And so that was what we at Atticus.io have really been moving to do. So we started by focusing on formatting and saying, well, everybody needs to format their book at some point. And here's an area where we can really add a lot of value quickly. We've, and we did the formatting, but we've also added the writing component. So 
um, while you can technically write inside of vellum, I'm, I'm sure you can probably agree that it was not meant or made for writing inside of. It's more meant for you wrote somewhere else and you uploaded to it. Well, we took uh, the writing and we've really been making it a better experience for authors. We've added uh, writing goals, writing analytics. You can move your chapters around. We have even more features that we're going to be coming out with over the next month or two for just writing alone and making it a better experience. Hmm. And once we're complete with that, we're then going to move to the collaboration component that I talked about. And in the collaboration component, this will allow an author to, when you go to work with a, a editor, you can click a button, send a link to them. When they open it up, they have access as editor mode to your your word, your, 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 uh, written work. And it will feel like word document to them with track changes and all the things they're used to. And we're adding a couple of things that make it even better for editors. We're working with them. Um, and then you can see on your Atticus, what they're doing in real time, and you can go ahead and accept their changes, or you can reject them. You can communicate back and forth with them, but there's no more of this emailing back and forth or mm. having to move it out. And when you're finally done working with the editor, you can secure their access so that they can't do anything more in it. And you can move on to the next part because you've edited the document. Now it's time to format. And so I'm, I'm, so like I said, we've come out with a formatting. We're in the middle of writing and we'll be adding the collaboration later. But ultimately, I like to say that if Scrivener, Google Docs, and Vellum got together and had a baby, its name would be Atticus. And that's what we're doing. Okay. So I, I want to just pick up on a, some of the things you've said and just ask some questions, really from just from experiences as a writer. But like I'm formatting my books, but I'm, I've gone wide. So I'm on Amazon, I'm on Google Books and, and <clears throat> Apple, and maybe I'm using an aggregator like Draft Digital or somebody like that. Can Atticus cope with all the various formats that I'd need to kind of feed all of those guys? Well, the good news is, is that we've made sure that our formatting capability works with all of them. Um, so you can, when you make your EPUB, okay, and we have, and here's the thing too, is uh, just in case somebody, somebody doesn't know this, Amazon stopped allowing Moby. Mm. Um, that used to be their thing, and that's and which drove everybody nuts because it was Moby for Amazon and EPUB for everybody else for Kindle books. And then Amazon was like, "Okay, okay, you're right, we were wrong. You know, we'll get rid of the Moby. We'll do yeah, the EPUB." For once. And, yeah, <laughs> and they got rid of it, so they don't accept Moby files anymore. They, sure. And they recommend EPUB. That same EPUB, uh, there's a whole bunch of coding kind of inside of it, but generally speaking, there's special code that we put inside of it that the EPUB works and looks exactly like you see it on Atticus on whether that's Barnes and Noble Press, iTunes, Kobo, draft to digital um, you know, uh, it just lists all of them and it will work for everyone. So you don't have to uh, format a special one for Amazon, then format a special one for, you know, Kobo and format a special one. No, you format the one, it will work across the board. With print, um, we have inside of it, when you go to look at the print version of your book, there are certain trim sizes that certain markets accept, and there are certain trim sizes that other markets don't, and all of these things. Oh, so what yeah. we did was that we marked, uh, we have a whole bunch of trim sizes you can choose from, and we made it really easy for people to know which one will be, uh, which ones are acceptable by Amazon, which ones are acceptable by Ingram Sparks, and which one is acceptable by both. And it's just this little color coding that we have. So if you see a I think it's a orange and a blue mark. It's a little circle. Then it means both of them accept that trim size. 
So if you select that trim size and you get your you know print book looking the way you want with our full bleed themes or you know however you want it, then when you hit export, Ingram Spark, BNM Press, Draft to Digital when they come out with their print version, um, and Amazon will all accept that PDF and you're good to go. Okay. Um, so when you were talking earlier about the editing, it sounds as if I could, like if I wanted to have a session with my editor, I could um, have a have the edit version of this working somehow. The edit version of my document, I can see it, my editor can see it in real time. Maybe I could be calling my editor on Zoom. I can talk to them. I can I can work with the document if I've you know if I've got two screens or I've got it on both screens uh, on one screen, and that's the thing. Then can't I? I presume I could do I could do all that. <clears throat> it can be real time if I want it to be. Yep, exactly. Um, and uh, the other thing that I wanted to just pick up with you, I, I think I heard you say something at some point about you could have like a copy, maybe you're sending out art copies or mm-hmm. you know, to other people like that. And it's like time limited or it won't, it's somehow it can't, it won't get kind of proliferated out onto the web. Is there a thing around that that's coming? Oh yeah. So um, when you, the way that it will work is in the top, when you're inside your book, you'll be able to see writing mode, collaboration mode, and formatting mode okay and so if you click on collaboration there's going to be a sidebar on the right that will tell you um and that's where you can either collaborate with another writer so you can both write together if you want collaborate with an editor collaborate with a with your arc team or beta readers okay um or collaborate with another formatter and we do this because some people while it's easy to format they might want a designer to create special images and they don't want to have to deal with that so they'll want to um collaborate with somebody who does that and so while they write the person could be designing the book as they want it um we make it that if you're collaborating with another writer or another formatter those two have to own atticus as well so you own atticus and they own atticus and they can do that with editors or beta beta readers they don't have to own it because the link they get is a special edit mode or beta mode and so when they open that up um you know, again, to them, it looks like Word doc. And so for the editor, they can do track changes and recommend change, you know, and all this Um, same thing that they're used to with beta readers. On the other hand, um, they can leave comments. And one of the things we do is a lot of permissions. So you could give beta readers the permission to see other betas comments or none at all. I think that's really Mm. important because Mm. I've seen times where say there's 10 beta readers and, um, one of the 10 might notice something and say, oh, I don't like this part about this character. You should change this. Well, if they can't see each other's comments, you may find that only the one person thought that, but the others didn't even notice it. Yeah. Whereas if they can see the comments, all of a sudden that thought may influence all of them and they all make it sound like it's this big deal, but it's not. It's actually, you know, it it was just, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. let me write something in there. And so- Authors sure. can choose if they can see it. But yeah. here's what's really cool about this system is that because we set it up this way, um, we have special ways where they cannot download the copy. So your editor can't download it. Your art team can't download it. There's no Word documents floating around because when you send out a Word copy or a Mobi or whatever to an editor or to a um, ARC reader, 
there is a chance that it can get out on the internet and you yep. have a piracy issue. Yeah, absolutely. So this way is way more safe of making sure that it can't get out of your system. But then my favorite part is that you can still see on that dash, that, that side uh, sidebar in the collaborate mode, you can see everybody you've given permission to and you can click the little X and you can remove their permission so that when you're done working with your beta readers, you can ensure nobody has access to it. And now it's clean and controlled. And I think that's really important for authors. So some some people listen to this, like me, well, we've bought Vellum and we like Vellum, you know, and we're on our Mac and we like Vellum and it, 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 it answered some, some questions for us. Um, and I think you've covered some of this already, but it like in two or three points, what would you be saying to us uh, to, to kind of make us consider moving from Vellum to Atticus? You as a writer, if you have a system that you're very happy with, that's awesome. You know, if you're cool with working um, on Scrivener and then exporting and going back and forth, back and forth, um, or if you're an author who has to collaborate. And so now you guys have to work on Google Docs, which, you know, it has its own funkiness. And it's not really meant for giant programs, but OK, that's the only way right now you can collaborate with somebody. Um, then then, you know, having Vellum is good. It, you're still being able to format a good looking book. So got it. But here's the thing, though, is, is that if you're tired of having to uh, write in a program, collaborate in another program, email back and forth lots of files, and then use another software to format, and you just don't want to make this more simple, especially for a one-time cost for lifetime, right? Which right now is $147 for life. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's really kind of the thing for you. And I think that as more and more editors are really coming on board, I think they're going to enjoy the, the, the familiarity they have with you know it feeling like word but the extra things we're putting in there based off of their recommendations uh you're going to see a lot more of the industry using it you're going to see a lot more people wanting mm-hmm. to use it if you're going to collaborate with an author there's no better way to handle that um, than what this will be and so it's one of those things where it really depends on what is important to you um and how serious you're taking in that but being able to simplify that process and make it easier and giving you more control and making sure there's less chance of your book or pieces of your book getting out on the internet. Um, I think there's a lot to really offer there. Okay. So to find out more about you and some of those other products that we've talked about, where do they go? Well, uh, my main website is kindlepreneur.com. I have a contact page there. So if there's any questions or so, you can always hit me up on that. I answer that email. Uh, Atticus.io is the uh, website for Atticus. So you can check it out. Um, You can hit up our support. And one thing you're going to learn with any software that I do is I think support is one of the most important parts to a company. Um, And I I can really, I I feel very comfortable saying, I think we have one of the best support teams uh, in the entire writing industry by far. Um, And I know that sounds like a plat, like a platitude or, you know, going beyond, but Uh, there's a couple of my support team members that like, I went to a conference and I swear they're, they're more famous than I am Uh, just because people are like, Oh my gosh, I love Monique, you know? And, and, um, and that's the thing is we got really passionate authors who care about it to really work and to be there. So I I feel like I can totally say we have the best support in all of the writing community. Um, But you can hit us up on support, ask questions. We're totally cool. Um, And same thing with Publisher Rocket at publisherrocket.com. There's a link at the bottom for support. You can reach out, ask us questions. And I guess people should, just in case they didn't pick up on it, um, it's not a monthly fee, is it? It's like you pay one hit and you're you're in, you've got it. 
Exactly. I personally hate <clears throat> subscriptions. Um, I also don't like the idea of building my my work on something that I have to pay just to keep. Um, now, I know that like if I were paying a subscription for writing software, like if I stop paying them, they give me an ability to download my stuff off mm-hmm. of their system. Mm-hmm. I get that. But I don't mm-hmm. like the idea of building my castle on sand, you know, mm-hmm. um, and so I just do not like that that idea of a subscription base, although a lot of people move to it, but nah, not my thing. Well, clearly not because you're running your business a different way. Okay. Yes, sir. We're coming to the end of our conversation now, Dave, is there anything else you want to say? That's like, I really want to say this to the guys before we finish. Huh? <sighs> no, I, you know, my biggest, my biggest recommendation to authors, um, and, and this is my, my favorite words of wisdom to impart when it comes to marketing a book, there are so many different things you can do. Um, there's constantly like I was just just read an article about TikTok and using that to sell <laughs> books. And let me tell you, there really are. And they, the truth be told is they all work. They really do all work. But we authors can't do everything. And wow. as a matter of fact, when we try to dabble in so many things, we never get anything done. And it actually just tires us out. My biggest recommendation to authors is choose two or three tactics, really dig into those, give the best effort and and, and stick with them. Try not to pivot out, okay? And get those things down. And when you master those skills, you're going to see a much better Mm -hmm. ROI on your efforts. Mm -hmm. And then after you're done with the first book, maybe add another one. And now you have four. And then on the next book, you add another one. Now you have five. And all of a sudden you start seeing that building, that incremental building of momentum. And I think that is the most important um, knowledge bomb that I can impart to anyone Mm -hmm. listening. Be very intentional and very succinct on the market strategies you choose. Which kind of echoes, I think, some of the things you were saying earlier about know what you want to do, be focused, be disciplined, don't give up, be persistent. There's a kind of, there's a kind of cluster of attitudes and and approaches to life perhaps and and to the the work you want to do as a writer around that isn't it yeah i better give the military a little bit more credit for my upbringing after <laughs> I after i heard can... that i was like wow that sounds like my military career in a nutshell yeah, I, I, i'm i'm sensing you kind of learnt one or two lessons in the military dave maybe it was there inside <laughs> you already but i think i think they sharpened that up. i mean when you were talking earlier, i was thinking Nobody gets up at four, four o'clock in the morning every day for a hobby. That's just not a thing, is it? <laughs> no, no. But I tell you what, though, um, like I like I mentioned earlier, uh, my kids just went to the uh, had a Christmas recital at our school, mm, mm. and uh, it was it was actually on Tuesday, and um, it was like at nine a.m. on a work day. Yeah, and I, I tell you what, I was the only dad standing in that crowd. I was there so jazzed, and my kids yeah. were all excited and still young enough to wave. So you know, that's what I got up for at four a.m. And if we really know yeah. what we are yeah. truly working for, that'll drive you through all the hard times and keep you yeah. going until you oh, hit that's it. Great, that's fantastic. Okay, then, Dave. Um, thank you so much for your time. It's been really fascinating talking to you. Um, good lessons for life and for the work we want to do. And you know, I've 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 used your products. I'm interested in Atticus as well, which is why I wanted to talk to you. So yeah, I would seriously recommend people check all of this stuff out. Good tools to work with. Okay, thanks very much, Dave. Excellent, and thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Creative Writers Toolbelt podcast. 
You can find out more about the podcast at my website, andrewjchamberlain.com, where you can also find details of the Creative Writers Toolbelt Handbook, which takes all the best advice and insight from the early episodes of the podcast and distills it into one volume. I hope this episode has been helpful to you on your writing journey. If it has, please consider leaving a review for the Creative Writers Toolbelt podcast wherever you download it. Thank you for listening to this episode and goodbye.